Hey there, and welcome to Inside Cafe, where we are going to explore the experiences of adventurers, students, and workers that have decided to come to live in China. Cafe is an ancient name for China, and Marco Polo, a European traveler, had a sole objective to prove that China was not only riding northern horse tribes and the southern agriculture peasants, but an immense country with a sophisticated variety of cultural traditions, people, and customs. We intend to explore the Marco Polos of today who have come to find a 21st century China. We will dig deep in order to gain an insight into the encounters, struggles, and the successes which they have experienced along their way. This podcast aims to provide you with exciting stories about a country that has been misunderstood by many, but understood by few. Inside Cafe will give you firsthand the stories of the few. Our goal is to provide a platform for every adventure that has come to China from all corners of the earth. We will cover as many nationalities as possible and speak to people who have many diverse opinions. In an era of globalization, getting to know a little bit from everyone is a way to bring you on a journey around China and show how our interviewees have found their own cafe. Inside Cafe is the Sabri Podcast, the student association of the Belt and Road Initiative. So today we're going to talk to Taylor, who's an American who has spent over four years in China, studied in Shanghai, worked in Yunnan province as a teacher, and is currently living and studying in Beijing. And so Taylor, welcome to Insight Cafe. Very happy to be here, guys, and Thanks. very excited to be the first guest of your podcast. We're excited to have you. Yeah. So uh, what made you come to China? Actually, the first time I came was in 2008. I was doing a program before my freshman year in college. It's kind of very basic Mandarin language study, and I traveled around the country. Um, then I really came back for good. After my sophomore year of college, I came here to study Mandarin in Shanghai. And that was all the way back in 2010. What was it like coming as a, what, your first experiences coming as a sort of newbie, like fresh off the boat? How was that? I think like a lot of people, a lot of foreigners that come to China, very, just constant stimulation, right? Mm. Especially back, that was 2008, right before the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, and I was in Beijing and I was also in Yunnan at that time. So incredibly different than what my life in the U.S. was like, yeah. and also complete and utter lack of language skills. So kind of like being a newborn baby, again, <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, right? And then was it the the challenge that actually made you decide to come to China? Was it like the opportunity? Was it wanting to like leave home? Was there a particular reason? I think that you've kind of hit on a bunch of the different reasons. Um, and I, I can sort of combine what you said, sort of challenge, opportunity, desire to leave home into the concept of stimulation, right? China to me has always been this really, really interesting and stimulating place to live. Maybe this is something that, you know, Marco Polo was looking for when he came here 600 years ago. But I still feel that. I felt that then and I still feel that now very strong. And um, after that initial year, you came back and back again. And you've experienced a lot and in, in, in very different ways. I mean... You first came as a student, then you came in a sort of way as a professional and spent two years in the province of Yunnan, very different from Shanghai, a total different scene. And uh, then you're back to Beijing, uh, the capital. Um, although you've been to, although you've been in Beijing uh, for only six months, uh, from all your past experiences in China, what has been the one that has made the biggest impact? So for me, as far as impact, 
I think being in Yunnan, I was with a program called Teach for China. I was teaching in a very small village uh, in a very rural part of Yunnan. That that was definitely the most different type of experience, and as such, almost certainly the most impactful. Um, they placed me, but I knew I was going to be somewhere rural. Mm. So I didn't choose the exact school, but that was that was definitely something that I wanted to do. It was something that you were kind of dreading or whether... To be honest, I, I didn't really know what it was going to be like. I had a idyllic view of what the Chinese countryside would look like and what life there would be like. In a sense, that vision kind of came to fruition. It is an incredibly beautiful place. Life there is, in many respects, lived as it was you know, many, many years ago. Um, and obviously there are a lot of interesting challenges in a place like that as well. So I think that when people look at China, certainly outsiders or scholars studying China, um, they get caught up in numbers and China's numbers are so huge. It's really hard to understand the sort of, sort of really like dig into the numbers and see this human face of it. And one of the biggest things, the most interesting numbers in China is the urbanization uh, paradigm that's been going on for the last 20 years. See, like 30 years ago, 90% of the country um, was living in rural areas, 10% in cities, and now most of the population is in cities. So being in Yunnan, being in a village, I had a chance to see the other side of this number. So people that are living in cities are constantly seeing all of the migrant workers that are coming from the countryside to the city. Um, and I got to see the flip side of that with all the um, you know people that had left the city or had left the countryside for the city, um, sort of what they left behind. Didn't necessarily talk about it in a policy sense, mm. right, um, or exact numbers, but I'd say that sort of demographic shift was definitely an overlying feeling um, of living in that place in 2013. Well, I used to meet a lot of people that had come back for a short period of time, maybe the holidays. So I'll tell you, really, you know, people my age, I was uh, 23 at the time, 23 to 25, I was there. There was nobody my age in the entire village, essentially. So have a gap, an age gap from age 20 to about 35. Mm. Very, very few people of this age. Sort of demographic whole is something that everybody there definitely felt very acutely and also felt that sort of the next generation was also going to follow in those footsteps. How was the, because that's very interesting, because a lot of people that come to China, they never even think about uh, going to, I would say, those places. First thing they have in mind is Beijing, Shanghai, big cities, tier one cities. But you took the completely opposite side of uh, this idea. It's, and how was it the first days? Because you're, you're, you're a kid, let's say, 23, you're a kid. You go into this uh, rural area of China, with that gap, how was the the first days? How was it like to adapt to that reality? Really hard, for sure. Programs like Teach for China or, you know, similar types of volunteer teaching programs have a pretty high attrition rate. A lot of people leave. Um, for me, some of the difficult things, initially language was really difficult. Mm. My Chinese wasn't great. No one did. The English teacher at the school didn't speak English. Hygiene, particularly the bathroom situation, took a very long time to get used to. After a while, you, you can, human beings are very adaptable. I'll say that. 
And yeah, I think that demographic gap makes it pretty lonely for a while. If you add on a language issue, completely new lifestyle, and then, you know, so, so few people your age. Yeah, it takes a while. It took a while to get into the flow of the life there. Uh, would you, after this, all this experience, would you recommend people uh, taking this challenge, taking, you know, uh, this approach in life? 100%. Because I think, I think I, although in a completely different way, I had the chance to travel alone for the first time in my life to Southeast Asia. Uh, although, you know, security is not an issue, you're there by yourself, you know, and you go alone and you leave your comfort zone. And living this comfort zone, you know, sometimes can be a struggle for many. But um, I don't know, it looks like you've learned a lot, not only of yourself, but also, you know, of... China, uh, in a way that nobody would, uh, I mean, at least people that are only in Beijing and Shanghai would never uh, live uh, from it. So would you, uh, yeah, so there again, you would definitely recommend this experience now. Yeah, I think certainly for anybody who's interested in living here long term or really understanding China, you certainly are not going to get the full picture if you spend your time in Beijing, Shanghai. The difference between rural China and urban China is night and day. It's totally different. And I think it's very valuable at least to, I don't know, take up your uh, friends in Beijing's offer to go to their home village or just see what life is, is like in these places because that's kind of what China's history is. It's just as important to understand those areas as, as the bigger cities. Did you manage to make a lot of friends in, in Europe? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been back there twice now. Obviously, I have a lot of students that I had a really close connection with. The thing is about the school I was at, um, all of the teachers and all the students lived at the school. And because of the demographic situation that I was talking about before, most of the students' parents are away. So we kind of functioned as their de facto parents as well. It's really, really tight relationships with students. And then, yeah, very tight relationships with teachers and the community as well. What age were those students? It was in elementary school. So you had six to 12. So you're like big brother figure or like surrogate father. What, did you feel like you kind of assumed a, a quite a It sounds like you assume quite a personal role. Yeah, big brother. I think I was my age at that time, 23. Mm -hmm. I was closer in age to the students than I was to exactly. the, other, uh, the other teachers there. There are many young teachers, because I know, like, in the UK, and I'm sure in the US, a lot of young professionals go into teaching, like, in their early 20s. But I feel like in China, it's... It's less of an attractive, it seems like less of an attractive job for young professionals. Is that true of your experience? At that school, and this is only one school, 20 teachers, but at that school, there was one other teacher who was 26, married with children though, uh, and all the other teachers were 35 and up. I'd say the average age was mid-40s, so yeah, not, not too many, no. So you were clearly very connected to the kids. Um, did you, did you, do you believe that the kids you taught impacted you as much as you did to them? Yeah, probably more, I would say. More. Well, I, I don't know. I think that I was able to meet a type of person or type of young person that never have been able to meet back home. And the same is certainly true for these kids. Had I not been there, they probably never would have, certainly never would have lived for two years in the same place as a dude from you know, <laughs> Connecticut in the U.S. Um, and they, they may never never have even seen a foreigner so this was a very rural area um i think a very symbiotic uh relationship for sure yeah very very impactful and i definitely uh keep in touch with them still have a good relationship yeah it's it's great to hear because back again i've uh i've never taught before uh, i did some sorts 
of volunteering if you put it on the same category. But uh, I see a lot of nowadays of this really short-term teaching uh, volunteering experiences that a lot of people from the West uh, come to, you know, uh, these areas that clearly need more uh, development on, let's say, English language. Uh, but also other stuff. Um, and it's only like for free four months, you know. And uh, I feel that it doesn't help at all, uh, the kids, because they're constantly uh, changing, uh, seeing like their figure, the figure that they need to respect, uh, that they need to look up to, learn from them, just quickly changing. Mm -hmm. And it's impressive how, you know, you, you kept going for two years. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Two years. So, yeah, the kids must have, you know, your impact on the kids is obviously enormous. And I hope, I hope, you know, in the future, uh, they'll, from what they've learned, they can, you know, either spread it to their community and uh, teach what they've learned from you. I think the most important thing is I, I was there, obviously, in the capacity of a teacher teaching English and a few other subjects, but mostly English. I think that's secondary to what the importance of the relationships are and the interactions. It's really the cultural exchange yeah. that I think that's the most important. Because... I was going to ask about that, actually, because I've done similar to what you were just describing, a sort of short-term teaching placement, and I find it super interesting to look at where the value of these different placements comes in. I think it's super contextual, really, but I was going to ask whether you saw your role more as a teacher or more as a sort of facilitator of cultural exchange i definitely had to be a teacher because yeah. <laughs> these kids were they were taking exams mm. and i was totally going to be judged on their exam scores but in the broader picture they had english teachers before me they have english teachers now after i'm long gone they'll have english teachers uh so the the long-term impact of my presence there is is definitely more in the realm of cultural exchange yeah. And back to your point, Tomas, even if these programs are one week, two months, three months, I think it's still valuable. Yeah, I agree. Actually. Even if even if these people are leaving and it might be confusing to the kids, it still gives them a window into a world that exists outside. If those people weren't there for even a week, yeah, they would they never experience never it. Never would have had that. I never thought about it that way. That's actually very interesting. And yeah, I never thought about it because I always I always saw it as like this. Oh, you have one job, you know, and they're basically ruining it in the long term. But um, yeah, I mean, the cultural experience must have much of an imp uh, such an impact on them that probably that imagine that even if we when we travel or when we go to some place and we feel that impact is not as big as uh, as on them because yeah, they never saw it, they never experienced it personally, and yeah, I never thought about it. It's actually really interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm happy that you see it both ways, not only as, you know, you see it as a teacher, you saw yourself as a teacher, but also like from a, let's say a cultural ambassador, uh, to these kids. Um, yeah. And I would also add that in today's day and age, uh, three months of meeting somebody, being with somebody in a personal setting, you know, it, it, it doesn't end after three months, right? For example, I'm at WeChat with my students all the time, video chat. Like, I'll go back and visit just to spark this relationship, just spark these cultural exchanges that can then continue in different platforms. You only need a week to do that. Mm. Right? Yeah. Was there anything surprising that the students, like maybe an impression they had of the US or did they ever say anything that you were like, wow, I can't believe that that thing is, you know, that piece of American culture has traveled or that particular idea has traveled across. So, for example, when I 
was in China doing my teaching, there would be kids that couldn't speak a word of English. And then we would hear them playing, like yattering away um, in Mandarin. And then to me, they'd go, fire in the hole. And we'd be like, sorry, what? And it's because they'd learnt it from video games. They had no idea what it meant or anything. We were like, wow, that's the thing that they've picked up. Was there anything similar, like a surprising thing that you saw when you were there? Uh, I think to that specific example, when I was in China back then, oh my lady gaga was a big phrase. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that phrase uh, ever made it to the U.S. But, uh, Definitely didn't make it to the U.K. That was a big one. Everybody knew. Everybody was saying, oh my lady gaga in China in 2013. Uh, I mean, in all of my travels around the world, I'm always very surprised at the reach of American culture. Music, TV shows, even in these villages in Yunnan, had I been there, had I not, they would have been listening to Justin Bieber. Not American, okay? We, I don't claim to... Oh, that's right. <laughs> claim to him. Lady Gaga, whatever, all of these. I, I'm always surprised to this day of the American just soft power behemoth around the world. Was anyone ever surprised about stuff you knew about China or about Yunnan? Or mostly just surprised about language skills. In areas like that, in, in areas like rural Yunnan, I actually would say people aren't that surprised because they have no reference point. Mm -hmm. So, like, when they would meet me and I'd say a few, you know, decent, what I thought was decent Chinese, they would just, they wouldn't bat an eye <laughs> because they'd never met a yeah. foreigner who couldn't speak Chinese before because they'd never met a foreigner. But around China in general, that's probably the thing people are, people are most surprised about. How much has the village changed hmm. in the time that you've seen it are there big things that jump out or has it been more of a slow gradual shift or no shift really good question uh very big shift uh people keep leaving of course however life there is definitely getting better at least materially i was there from 2013 to 2015 and i remember very distinctly when i first got there of the 21 teachers that were at the school only two had cars. Only two had driver's license. By the time I left, 12 of them. It was two years. 12 of them had driver's license and cars. I left in 2015. Everything was straight cash society. I went back in the summer of the fall of 2017. No cash to be seen. All WeChat. All Alipay. Even, you know, fruit stands on the corner. So the transformations that we see in urban China are definitely starting to Going over. quickly yeah. um, uh, penetrate the rural areas of China as well. No question. And so with this change in the village that you were living for two years, um, following up on that, what has changed in you since you've arrived back in 2010? I have less hair <laughs> 2010, but... Uh, I think you're probably talking about a more uh, personal changes. Uh, I, I, living in, in Yunnan was definitely very transformative for me. Um, when I was there, no smartphones, uh, very shoddy internet. Sometimes I would not shower for lengths of time that I won't bring up on this podcast. <laughs> um, but it was an incredibly happy two years and a very, uh, very satisfying experience. So that definitely taught me that, uh, it's very, it's very easy to live with less. It's very easy to be happy without having all of the trappings of modern life. People's lives there were, would be considered relatively small. 
in the sense that their whole community was within a very, very, you know, small geographic area. They didn't have much connection uh, with the outside world. They were poor in a, you know, um, relative sense. But everybody there was some of the happiest people that I've ever met. So that's the biggest, right? Just understanding that you can be satisfied with not having that much. Yeah, it feels like you lived in a pretty utopian society. Yeah, but I left. So, of well, course, there's a... Every good you know, story has an end, you know. There's two sides to, to every coin. Do you think there's a degree to which people kind of talk about these rural places as like there's some kind of like a utopia and forget about the hard parts of life? So I know I've heard a lot of people, particularly, you know, people that have come maybe as a vacation to Asia and they go, oh, it's amazing. It's so beautiful and the landscapes and the people. And actually it's sort of, I guess, not representative of the full picture. Does it kind of frustrate you and people go, oh, it must have been amazing. Rural China, wow. <laughs> and that seems to be the end of the conversation. Totally. Yeah, it was, it was amazing because it was so different and the people were amazing. But I mean, I always had my plan to leave in two years. You know, I'm from this wealthy Western country. I can, I have a lot more options in life. And I think there's a reason that everybody from 20 to 40 is not, not in the village. It's, you know, comfortable in a sense. You have your family and there's no pollution. Again, there's none of the fast-paced pressure cooker sort of lifestyle you get in the big cities, but there's no economic prospects. You basically can be a farmer, nothing else. It might sound idyllic, but I, I think most people, most people are looking for something a little bit more. Um, and, you know, the, the healthcare system is not very good. There are certainly problems with alcoholism and cigarette, cigarette addiction. And yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's a different uh, perspective coming from somebody who's there for a week and just a couple months back, yeah. or someone who was there for two years and was leaving. Did you ever consider staying on? There was a point in time, I actually, uh, I was blogging pretty frequently back then and I, I was kind of feeling this out in my writing, because um, I was, I was, you know, weighing the pros and cons of this place is so comfortable. My mind is so clear. I'm so spiritually satisfied here. But in the end, yeah, it, it's just limiting. There's a, there's a chengyu, a proverb in, in Chinese that's gao. So it basically means like, from this mountain, all the other mountains look tall, right? It's like the grass is always greener. On the other side. <laughs> on the other side. And at a certain point in time, uh, that feeling kind of overtook me. And I knew that, you know, at some point I would want to do other things. I couldn't spend the rest of my life here. Of course. If you had to pick a favorite Chinese word or phrase, would it be that particular proverb? Do you have a, a word, something that you'd like to share with us? So just meaning... From this mountain, all the other mountains uh, look taller, so the grass is always greener. And I think in a lot of ways, it's something that kind of sums up my own experience in China and in life, just like constantly looking for something more interesting, something more stimulating. Ambition is very important. Huh? Ambition, spiritual ambition, personal ambition. Great. Awesome. Well, Taylor, thanks a lot for having you on our very first episode and yeah dude thank you very much your story is uh, pretty amazing you know i don't know a lot of people that went to yunnan and spent their two years and uh, yeah i just had this once in a lifetime experience of china that very few can uh, say they've went through